Okay, we'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study for May 24th, 2009. And today we finished the uh, series on Disney. I'm going to go ahead and uh, just give a, uh, I'm not sure how brief it'll be, but it'll be a testimony regarding uh, my dad recently passing away. And uh, then we're going to um, segue into a teaching, uh, another uh, subject on the Hebrew Roots Movement. Uh, but I had a lot of people emailing me regarding uh, my dad and his sudden passing away. And just to recap things, uh, he uh, recently my dad passed away. It was about a month ago. Um, and um, from essentially what boiled down to be a massive heart attack uh, due to um, uh, a lot of placking. Uh, he had 100% blockage in two arteries and 80 to 90 in the last. And um, it Really what got him there, which is what happens with heart disease about every single time, which is one of my areas of expertise, but unfortunately he didn't follow what I told him to do. What got him there was poor lifestyle, poor food decisions. And I understand people can have a genetic predisposition, but um, he had uh, blood sugar issues, and uh, he didn't take care of that. And when you don't take care of blood sugar issues, one of the main things that happens is your arteries start to get plaqued up because when your blood sugar is out of control, what ends up happening is your blood lipids, which are the blood fats, also get out of control. Like the triglycerides, your HDL to LDL ratios get way out of whack. Uh, cholesterol is really not as near of an important as a factor uh, as the modern medical society would have us believe it is, but the ratios of LDL to HDL in the bloodstream are very important. Triglycerides are a main one, and um, when your blood sugar is out of control, triglycerides will skyrocket. And what ends up happening is you, you get plaqued up. These blood fats get into the arteries, and they plaque you up. And there's other causes for plaquing of the arteries. There's heavy metal deposits. There's sometimes calcium can, can get in the arteries. So there's just not one simple fix for it, but um, I had given him a product, it was an oral chelation, and what that does is a product you take, and most people get chelation, a lot of them get it through an intravenous uh, uh, process, um, but there is also a way you can do it orally, you can buy EDTA chelation, which I highly recommend if anybody has a family history. Um, the two products I recommend to deplaque the arteries are natokinase, which is an enzyme. Um, but by itself, you need a little more than natokinase to actually really deplaque the arteries. And the other thing you need is the EDTA. And you can find natokinase or EDTA up on the, on the internet. Um, I carry the products, but you can go up and do a keyword search. Uh, one of these vitamin companies like Vitanet or, uh, Vitamin MD or something. And, uh... They've got some good prices on them. But you take them on an empty stomach, they get into the bloodstream, and they essentially help to start reversing the placking process. Uh, for my dad, it was too late because he had 100% blockage in two arteries. I had him on a protocol for the heart, but he wasn't policing himself enough with the blood sugar. Um, and what it was doing is it was overriding all the things we were doing for the heart. And uh, as a result, he ended up having a massive heart attack. Really, over a three-day period, accumulated a massive heart attack. And uh, um, we found him. It was about 3 o'clock, 3.30 in the morning. 
my mom had got me and uh, came in there and into the uh, uh, bathroom and he was having a this massive heart attack on the uh, bathroom floor. Uh, it was pretty heavy duty thing to go through um, watching that and um, I just had no idea um, the level of um, arterial placking and I, I, I was I was in shock because I had really put I had up what we were doing with him and uh, ambulance took him and the next day we found out that he had you know that massive blockage and he was already starting to go into organ failure he had been in such shock from this last heart attack that um, there was nothing they could do it was one of those things where there was not a whole lot they could do uh, I guess I should probably at this point maybe segue off that subject and give you a little history um, because this this might be something that can help some other people out there regarding their unsaved family members and things of this nature. Um, I'm going to give you reasons why I believe that there's a, there's a good chance that I actually believe he was saved in this last day. Um, and I had two other family members, my grandma and my grandpa, both my, um, the mother and the dad to my dad. Um, I, the Lord used me to lead them to the Lord pretty much on their close to being their deathbeds as well. Uh, so it seems like I have a family history of this. And uh, the uh, hospital, or when you're facing adversity like this, a lot of times it's a great opportunity. The Lord will open that door for them to be receptive to getting saved because, think about it, they're in a position of humility. Even if they were a proud person for one reason or another, if they're lying on their back facing death, that's causing them to rethink some things. And uh, there's not a whole lot of pride when you're laying, you know, in a hospital gown in a hospital and your life is, is, is uh, you know, weighing in the balance there. So, um, but with my dad, one of the reasons, or there were several reasons I believe it was so hard because he's had several opportunities to get saved in his lifetime. And um, I think, you know, with his childhood, I can look back and remember what he told me. Uh, and, and this was straight from him, pretty much. That you know, he grew up and he just had a uh, he had a he had a pretty kind of a violent childhood, I guess. And um, I grew up in Ohio. And um, my grandma, in particular, she had a real fiery temper. And um, her dad, who they refer to as Grandpa Truck, he he was not a guy you would want to mess with. And so, my dad kind of grew up with with. Um, I, I guess this fiery type of temper put into him, and from mostly his mom's side of the family, and uh, it was something that that he really battled his his whole life, and, and it perpetuated into his older brother. And, and they, they did a lot of sadistic things to him when they were when he was growing up. They would he told me that uh, my grandma and grandpa would uh, they had they made pies. That's what they did for a living, and they, his older brother Gary would actually take them and lock them in pie ovens and, and, and act like they were turning on the gas, and a lot, a lot of real sadistic stuff like that, because these pie ovens were huge, you could actually fit a human body in there, and he said that they would, they would come over, and uh, Gary would get his friends, they were older, and they would take my dad and one of his best friends, and they would put him in a circle, and they would tell each other they had to fist fight, 
or or Gary and his buddies were going to really let him have it. So he was forced to fight his best friends. Stuff like this is going to mess you up, you know, uh, if, if you have to go through something like that. Um, and he grew up then in, into an adolescent and, and started playing football and uh, got into high school and was real, you know, was always in trouble, real bad temper. Uh he told me growing up, he said if he felt as though if he didn't get in at least one fist fight per week, he hadn't had a good week. That's what he told me. He, and I don't think he ever lost a fight, from what I could ever recall, out of his mouth and out of the mouth of some of his friends. Now, I'm not saying this to brag on him. I'm saying there was a... Remember, we battle not against flesh and blood, but against princes, principalities. He had some very high-level strong, aggressive, violent demons in him. And I mean, they were high level. These weren't garden variety. I believe that my dad really had some heavy-duty things in his life. And um, he grew up and he played football. And he was so... He was captain of his football team. I think his senior. I don't know if his junior year, but... Um, they were very good. He actually got uh, offers to, uh, I think, three Division One colleges. Uh, University of Miami, two others. I forget what they were. But I don't believe his grades were good enough. And uh, he told me he, he knew that if he did went that route, he played football so violently, he said he knew that he was going to destroy his body. So he never pursued that. Uh, he did go to college, but never pursued that. But he, he went up and, and grew up and, uh, you know, getting in fist fights and getting in all kind of trouble and, and uh, ended up one time, put a guy in a hospital for a month, broke every bone in this guy's face. Um, and that kind of sobered him up a little bit because he spent some time in jail. And he ended up meeting my mom. And they, they ended up getting married. This was up in Ohio. And they were together for over 40 years straight. And, they, you know, they no divorce, no nothing like that, anything like that. Um, but my dad was always very, very bitter um, regarding God and these types of things. And I, I think that a lot of it has to do with what we're, we're talking about, with what I just told you about it, some of his childhood. Um, but a lot of it had to do with one event evidently that took place. And I remember my dad told me one time, he said, regarding God, that if, um, well, I'll tell you the story first. He had a, a grandmother, and um, she was a, uh, a, evidently just a wonderful, wonderful person. Just the sweetest, nicest. I never heard anybody say a cross word about her ever. I mean, and I've never, I think that, I'm not sure if I was even, if she was even alive when I was born. I'm, I'm pretty sure she had already passed away. But um, evidently, she was just a wonderful person. Now, she was a Seventh-day Adventist, and um, uh, she um, just, just, I, I just never. I, I, the, the praise that I heard over this lady was just amazing. Well, evidently, one day she was in her house, and um, she, uh, it was during the winter, 
And I guess up in the in Ohio and in these types of places in the older houses, they have these things called registers where the heat comes from the floor instead of like nowadays when they put in ducting systems, typically they'll put them in the in the ceiling. Well, back then it was in the floor, and there was a register, one of these heat registers, in back of one of her couches, and she fell on that register. She fell behind the couch, and she got pinned between the couch and the wall, and she was face down in her private parts, and as she was clothed, but her private parts were right over this heat register. And it was from a furnace. And she got pinned there, and the heat that was coming out of there was so hot, it burned her alive. Right there. And it was evidently just one of the most horrific deaths you could probably... I mean, you probably slow and horrific, this death. And he said that any God that would do that to a woman that sweet, I don't want anything to do with them. And this is how it starts with, with a lot of people. You know, they have some event, some polarizing event in their life. They're not... Let's say they're not a believer anyway. But then something like this might happen... And it's all the more excuse for them to turn their back on God. And it's an excuse is what it boils down to. I'm not saying that, that, that you know, I can't understand why he would feel that way. I'm not, I don't feel that way, obviously. But he did. And the Bible talks about guarding against the root of bitterness, which springeth up and defileth many. And this root of bitterness, if you let it take hold of you, which it did, it will defile you, and it will blind your thinking process. And he was bitter toward God. He wasn't just bitter toward a particular person. He viewed this as God's fault. And, I, I, you know, I didn't find this out until a lot later, but this is one of the reasons why he was so bitter. And growing up, you know, with him, um, you, had to, you had to be on your toes. You had to kind of walk around on eggshells a lot of times, because when he came home, I didn't know what to expect. He, most of the time he was fine, but, but if he came home in a, in a bad mood, man, oh, you know. I've seen him get in several fistfights, um, and he usually got in them in traffic when we were on the road. He would literally get out of the car and in, in, try to rip people out of their cars or smash their windows in or and I'm telling you I've never seen anybody I saw one guy fight him once most of the time he got so violent and so psychopathic that nobody had ever seen somebody get this way and they would back down they were overwhelmed with what they were seeing coming forth from my dad now he probably six feet tall 220 230 around there um but I, I've, I can't tell you how many times I was a little kid when I was with him and he would get in a fist fight in traffic. And how, uh, that, I mean, that was terrifying for me because I, I'm thinking, whoa. I, I, can, I can remember to this day, the, the first thing that came off was the watch. Remember that watch unclasped and him throwing it and him getting out of the car and going at it, man. I, can, I can't tell you. I lost track of how many times I saw him get in fist fights. And, um, um, you know, he let me have it. He let me have it several times as well. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not mad at him. I'm not angry at him. I'm not bitter toward him. I'm not, I forgave him a long time ago. Um, but there was a couple occasions he, he, uh, for, for no good reason. And, and he smothered me uh, on a couple occasions. And I mean, he, I was very, very close to being dying. Very close. 
Um, uh, and that that's a real terrifying thing. If you've ever been smothered to the point where you basically are right on the verge of death. Uh, and again, this is a way that the devil uses events like this to traumatize particularly children. And it's a way to implant demons and devils in people. Trauma, you study trauma-based mind control, multiple personality disorders, you know, project, you know, these, uh, these things that our government's experimented with, uh, Project Monarch and these things, and these things have all been declassified from the CIA. You can do uh, freedom of information requests. And I got into that in um, uh, the study I did on Disney and uh, I believe even the one on pedophilia. They use trauma in order to implant demons. And sometimes they use it in order to create multiple personalities, schizophrenia. Uh, they have what they call different alters that come up. Now, I never had any of that happen to me, but, um, you know, I, I know I know what it's like to face death, put it that way, as, as a little child even. And I'm not saying that to demonize my dad at all. Uh, I'm just telling you this is a byproduct of... of um, you know, what happened to him, I believe it was a byproduct of generational curses. The Bible says the sins of the forefathers are passed on to the third and fourth generation. These types of things, these are familiar spirits that are familiar. And um, I believe my dad had some incredibly powerful uh, spirits of rage and anger and violence with him. Uh, once I... Uh, I guess I'm getting ahead of myself, but going further, you know, I, I ended up, uh, you know, growing up this way and uh, being a teenager, you know, I got into all the heavy metal and uh, I had a lot of the same uh, spirits passed on to me and I struggled with a lot of the same things, uh, temper, anger, these types of things. And, um, you know, we're going to battle the flesh to the day we die. Just because we get saved doesn't mean that, that all of the, the flesh goes away and, and is, is immediately under subjection. You know, the, 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 fle- the spirit warth against the flesh. And, and, and this is why Paul talked about, Oh, what a wretch of a man that I am. Who should deliver me from the body of this death? The things that I shouldn't do, that I do. And the things that I should do, that I don't do. And, and this is why Paul said that. Um, because we do battle the flesh. It doesn't give us an excuse to sin. We don't use our liberty for an occasion of the flesh, and we should always be striving to bring our flesh under subjection uh, through reading the Word, prayer, living holy, you know, just living by the Bible, essentially. Uh, but um, growing up, I got into a lot of the heavy metal music and stuff, and, and, and that's how I grew up. I grew up with rock and roll. And my, my dad and mom were, were both heavily into that. My mom was involved in New Age. You know, my dad had a stack of, you know, I grew up with a stack of Playboys in, in, the, in the corner there and, and rock and roll playing and big parties. And, and, you know, he wasn't an alcoholic or anything like that. Um, but they drank, you know, heavily at these parties. And um, that's pretty much how I, how I grew up. And... Um, um, Later, you know, I got saved at um, when I was 24, and that all that all started to change. But that old world didn't just come out of me overnight. God had to take me through a lot of chastening in order to show me, you know, right from wrong. And uh, the Bible says, "Whom the Lord loveth, He also chasteneth." And if you be without chastisement, you're bastards. So, bastard 
is an illegitimate son. So these are a lot of things that the, the Lord that I went through, but then the Lord ultimately used a lot of chastening to bring me through. With my dad, um, I remember growing up, if we had any type of person that was of a, any religious flavor, it didn't matter if they were Christians, didn't matter if they were Mormons, didn't matter if they were Jehovah Witnesses, if they came to the front door with any kind of offer, he would go psychopathic. I'm telling you, he'd go nuts. He would, and it didn't matter if they had little babies with them or little kids, it did not matter. He would scream every cuss word in the world, scream at them, threaten them until, and literally chase them off the property. I saw him do it on, I can't tell you how many occasions. Um, and he just, he had no bones about it. <laughs> he, no remorse. He, he just, you know, it was just the way it was with him. And um, about, th- th- you know, this went on, this, this pattern for a long, long time. He ended up having a business. He ended up selling it and got some money. And they turned around and they just basically had to give a lot to the IRS. And then they turned around and, and put a lot of it back into this house that um, they had moved into in the early 80s. It was pretty much where I grew up. And this house was kind of like, you know, their, their castle, particularly for my dad. And he kept adding on to the house and adding on and putting more money in and putting more money. And they put about $350,000 into that house, I believe, um, at least that much. Um, kept expanding it, doing, you know, Italian marble and... And uh, this unbelievable, he was really, really into stereo systems. And he had what they call a media room in there. And it was only one of, at the time, there was only one of three or four in the world, I believe, when he had it made. It was this big, you know, big screen TV with all this fancy stereo equipment. And at the time, before I was saved, you know, I thought it was really neat. But I tell you what, after I got saved more and more and more, I wanted nothing to do with any of that garbage. I really, I, to me, it was bondage. (laughs) Just pure bondage. It's just overhead is what it is. And overhead is what kills you most of the time when it comes to business. You know, and that's why it's always smart to have as low overhead as possible. Because if you have a high overhead and times get tough, you have to make those payments every month. The higher the overhead, the more you got to make every month just to make a profit. So, he, he, he always seemed to have real high overheads. He was a very good businessman, incredible salesman. Um, uh, and ended up selling the one business and, and uh, put all this money in his house. And then he started, he actually invented a product called the Portable Evaporative Cooling Fan. This particular brand was called Way Cool. And uh, a lot of times people say, what's that? Well, if you're out in, if you're out in Arizona or in the desert, you'll know what an uh, evaporative cooling fan is. Um, it is essentially a fan that has these special cardboard pads in them where water is, is flowing down over the pads and air is being sucked in through the pads into a fan that's blowing out the air. What it does is it cools the air down without air conditioning, without an AC unit. And, and you, you can use them in very dry environments or you can use them in an open environment in human weather. Well, he invented this one particular design it was a portable evaporative cooling fan, and it was really the best best one out there. He was an inventor as well. Really good businessman, incredible salesman, and, and an inventor. 
and he invented this thing. And oh my, and he was a hard worker. I mean, he taught me hard work. You know, uh, no doubt about that. <laughs> and that's something I don't see being instilled in, in children nowadays is, is hard work. Uh, I, I don't see. I grew up when I grew up. Um, every summer, I was in a lawn service the whole summer with my grandma and grandpa, uh, the ones I led to the Lord eventually. And uh, I tell you what, you, you're, if you're in a lawn service in Southwest Florida in the summer, that is not a fun job. You talk about hot and humid and nasty. And that grass just keeps on a growing like you wouldn't believe <laughs> down here, especially when you have torrential downpour. So, um, you know, I worked with my dad, which was very trying because he was very hard to work for because he would be subject to bouts of rage and you never knew and he's going to fly off the handle and go nuts. And I had a bad temper. It wasn't a good combination. But I normally kept my mouth shut. Um, but uh, he uh, he started this business, this portable evaporative cooling fan business, and uh, just tried and tried and tried and tried to get this thing off the ground. And, and, and he, I tell you one thing about him: he was tenacious. He, he never he wouldn't give up. And uh, it was another good thing he taught me. You know, never you you, you just keep going after it. You know, and, and obviously, if you're a Christian, you want to apply that in a Christian manner, but just to not give up, you know. Um, so anyway, and the Bible talks about that, not to not be weary and well-doing and, and these types of things. So he ended up, um, uh, this business started to finally take off. This, this was what he used in this particular cooling fan, what they call a, centrific- a centrifugal force fan which is not like a blade fan that you see mostly in like stores and things like that. There was another portable evaporative cooling fan called Portacool, which was a blade fan, and it was really bulky and really inefficient and really loud. And it, my dad's fan blew that thing away like you wouldn't believe. I mean, and literally, sorry, no pun intended, but it was, it was way better, and it was way, called way cool. And uh, he actually had um, some sports teams get interested in, and I mean professional sports teams. Tampa Bay uh, Buccaneers had his fans. The uh, Miami Hurricanes had his fans. The Tennessee Volunteers. They literally had his fans on the sidelines during games. And business started to take off. He had been incredibly tenacious. And what ended up happening, and this was... This was I'd say all that to say this. This was when I really believe God started to work on my dad regarding, I guess, humility. And I guess this would be, oh my, a little over ten years ago. He had finally, I mean, granted, the, the, the Lord blessed it, whether he was willing to acknowledge that or not. And it wasn't an evil product. It wasn't like he was selling, you know cigarettes or liquor or anything like it was a good product it literally was a product that could really help humanity and i mean that because i'm telling you right now i worked in front of those fans i was even though i was a chiropractor god had humbled me greatly um because of the woman that i chose to marry uh, i was under god's chastening big time and i was here i am i'm a chiropractor chiropractor by day pizza delivery boy by night I was delivering Domino's pizzas. <laughs> I was I was pretty decent at it, but God was humbling me. I'm telling you, and uh, I really was. I did that for 
uh, I don't know, moonlighted, I guess. But anyway, um, he uh, he had this business, and um, it was doing really good. It was starting to do really good. And uh, I'm trying, I'm kind of getting off point here. Oh, the point I was trying to make was I actually worked in front of these fans. I would actually go to the factory. And, uh, uh, again, that was another job I had, as well as being a chiropractor by day. I would actually go there. There were certain things that I knew how to do I was pretty good at. And if you worked in front of one of these fans, you got way more done than if you weren't working in front of one of these fans. Because you had all that cool, a massive amount of cool air passing over your body. You would be amazed at what you could get done as opposed to just having stagnant air around you. Particularly in summer in Florida when it's incredibly humid and hot. You really got a lot more done. It was a much more pleasant environment to work in. And uh, anyway made these fans, and he was always making improvements on them, and, and I even helped him a little bit, suggesting you do this or you do that, and for the money, and for what the product that you got, it was really the best thing on the market by far in regard to this market. Um, well, eventually he had a guy approach him, um, Fifth, I turned out to be, they were the fifth richest family in Minnesota, and uh, they... Uh, they ended up approaching my dad and offering him two point five uh, million for the business, and I think at that point my dad was one of these types of people that liked to build up businesses and then sell them. He he was kind of burned out. He had he had got this thing going and finally got it up and running, and he saw the dollar signs. And my dad was never wise at managing money. That was the one thing about him. I mean, like I said, he put all that money back into the house. It was just waste, a total waste. I think of all the good that money could have done in missions or something like that. But, you know, that's the problem is, is the devil most of the time is the one that gets most of the money. You know, and it's going back to the devil. And, and in that case, it was just back into some stinking house. You know, and I'm going to tell you more about the house later. Well, so he ends up uh, getting this, this, uh, um, this offer. And he didn't really check into the background of this family enough. And they just knew they were a very rich family, affluent family, and they, they had dealings in the portable evaporative cooling. What it was is, is he was actually competition to them, and they wanted to basically take the competition away by buying him out, which was fine with my dad. Uh, but the problem is, is they never had any intention on paying him the full amount. They paid him a $250,000 payment up front and then reneged on the rest of it. So... They, he was owed $2.25 million and never saw another dime of it. Well, at that point, he decided to try to go after them with some legal resources that we knew about, but it wasn't the mainstream legal resources. It was kind of the patriot community stuff. This one particular group was Right Way Law, who I would not recommend. And uh, they ended up getting him really in more hot water and, and getting him in a position where there was no chance of him even getting it back, even though they had essentially stolen the business. And what they had done is they had relocated the whole business from from where we were at in uh, Fort Myers, Florida, up to Minnesota. So then we got into cross-state boundary lines and the court systems, and it turns out this family, this white family, last name was White, they owned all the judges up in Minnesota. They bought them all off. It was well known. 
which is fairly typical in in the U.S. judicial system. And there was no way you could win. I mean, save God intervening. And I did pray for that. Now, at the same time this all happened, I will say this also. They came to work one day, and one of their workers went outside, and they saw all this voodoo stuff on the side of the of their business, their factory. And it was a very similar time period when I was dealing with that with the voodoo that I was dealing with at work, and I literally mean that Haitian voodoo. And I've given my testimony on that before. How how the Lord um, how I overcame all that witchcraft. I've dealt a lot with I'm talking high level witchcraft personally. And the Lord's brought me through it every time, and I've came out victorious. But I don't know whether these people that were trying to get at me found out who my parents were and tried to get to them to get to me. I don't know. But um, they showed up one day, and there was all these voodoo hexes on the side of their building, and, and the guy that was working for them knew what they were. And all he did is cover them over them with paint. Well, I think you got to do a little more than that. And I'm not 100% sure what I did at the time. I'm not, I wasn't as versed as I am now on certain things like that. How much that had to do with the demise, I don't know. But all I can tell you is that my dad's, uh, I don't want to say luck, because that's a satanic word, lucky Lucifer, but his, uh, everything started to change for the negative. He essentially found out that this company had no intentions of paying him the rest of the money. In fact, they even came back to my dad and they said, we want the $250,000 we paid you back. We want your company for free. It's essentially what they were doing. And there was no way that was going to happen. But they tried to do all these things to actually not only get the money, that the small amount that they had paid them back, but also all their legal fees paid as well. They wanted everything. That's how greedy and how satanic this company was and is. And we found out later from people, a lot of other people, that this white family in Minnesota, that's how they do business. That's exactly how they do business. In fact, for them, for people in, the, in this, and I guarantee you they're probably in the Illuminati, they're probably Luciferians, this is how they do business and this is what they consider good business. Lie, cheat, steal. They had a law firm of 50 lawyers and when these people come back, these little, to them, they're little peons, when they come back to the people and try to fight them, they're like, fine, fight us. we got 50 lawyers. Go for it, big guy. It's like trying, you know, they have unlimited resources. They buy people out. They, they, and they, they just, this is how they do business. We, we found all these trail of, of basically bodies that they have left in their wake. All these other people that they had done the same thing to. But my dad was one of the worst because it was, we're talking a lot more money than the average um, person they had jilted. And I prayed about this a long time. I prayed God would judge them in their wickedness because they had gotten away with this wickedness and, and you know, they had bought off the judges. And it, it, this thing went on for a long, long time. It finally got to a point where they actually flew a judge down from Minnesota because my dad had one of the, the highest level people helping him in the Patriot community called Richard Cornforth. And this guy was amazing in court and still is. And I, I highly recommend him, Richard Cornforth. But he, uh, the problem is, is it doesn't matter how good your representation is if the judges are bought off. Because they're going to find a way to dismiss your case. It doesn't matter about law. It doesn't, it doesn't matter about truth. Um, none of that matters. 
in the judicial system in America. It matters about, are you a Freemason? Because if the judge is a Freemason, the Lord is a Freemason, he's bound by blood oaths to, to rule in favor of that lawyer. If they so, if they're, if they're aware of, of um, that they're both Freemasons, and there's certain ways they can communicate that to one another through the way they stand and through their hand motions and things of this nature. It depends on if they've been bought off. It depends on if they can be blackmailed. Um, I remember when inquiring about the judges to a Freemason that uh, we used to treat a long time ago when I was a baby Christian. This guy was a 33rd degree Freemason and so was his dad. And he said, in our local town alone of Fort Myers that, I don't know what the situation is like now, but he said every single judge could be bought off in Fort Myers but one. Every single one. He knew it well. He was a bails bondsman. He'd know these things. And he was a 33rd degree Freemason. So, you know, it's hard for people to accept these types of things that I'm saying, as a matter of fact. But this is the wicked world we live in. Evil men and seducers are waxing worse, deceiving and being deceived. And this is not our home as a born-again Christian. We're just a passing through. And so this isn't stuff that I, you, we need to be wringing our hands about and getting all upset about. I believe that there's a certain aspect of praying against this wickedness, like the, the teaching I did on Psalm 64, on precatory prayers, because if the wicked prosper, no good comes from that. You know, people aren't going to get saved when the wicked prosper, but when God judges sin, and when God judges the wicked in their wickedness, the Bible talks about all men seeing and fearing and declaring the work of God, not of Satan. Just read Psalm 64. So, finally, they, they, they flew this judge down. This is a, a very high-level judge they flew down. In fact, I researched him on the internet, and I mean, this guy, he flew all over the world. He had... Real, real, real high credentials. Okay, but he—he he was like a hired gun. He was bought and paid for. Him. They flew him down here just to rule on these cases. Came down from Minnesota, of all places. Imagine that, where where this white family's from, and uh, he threw out everything that they threw, and and that was the end. And and now I'm saying all I'm building toward a point here. I'm building toward a point here because at the time I couldn't see how God was potentially using this. All I saw. And here I am, a born-again Christian. All I was seeing was that these wicked devils had gotten away with all of this wickedness. And I was angry about it. Not at God. I just was angry at, the, at them. I've never been prone to get angry at God. And I'm not saying that because I think I'm holier than thou. I just It's not something I've ever really struggled with personally. We all have things that we struggle with, and that's just not one thing. I was more angry at the at the wickedness, that wickedness was seemingly prospering, and, and this is how they did businesses, and this is what they did. And So my dad had found this out, and uh, they had blown already a lot of the money they had gotten back into the house again. And uh, at the same time, um, my dad found out he had a massive brain tumor. Now, it was a benign brain tumor, but it was about the size of a woman's fist in the front right part of his brain. And here I'm thinking, okay, well, this is, could be something the Lord's using my dad. He's humbling him. He's found out he's going to lose this business. And this, this turned out to be a 10-year thing, okay? 10 years of court stuff and never did get the business, never got nothing, nothing. It was as though it had just been stolen. Just pure grief. And uh, that would be hard for a lot of people to take. 
especially somebody like my dad, but or anybody, really. Then he got this massive brain tumor. Ended up getting admitted to the hospital. They had to bring in a specialist. Uh, they literally had to cut off the whole front part, a big old front part of his skull, and literally take it off and put it on the table to do the surgery. And the surgery was a success. I tried in an attempt to lead him to the Lord before the surgery, he, and he was like, no, I'm good, no, I'm, I'm, I'm okay, where I'm, I'm content where basically I'm going or whatever. I even sent a preacher in there on a couple different occasions. They finally ended up throwing him out. He did try to witness to him. They ended up throwing him out of the room. So I didn't know if he was going to pull through this, what I thought to be his deathbed. Well, he did. He pulled through it and really had no complications. It did help him some with his personality. He said this had, they believed this had a lot to do with his sudden bouts of rage because this thing was pressing literally to compress the left part of his brain back. It wasn't a malignant tumor, which eats, malignancies tend to eat up the tissue around it. Benign tumors tend to grow and push the surrounding tissue aside. Um, he had had some seizures up to this point, and this is what was causing it. So he gets through with that. And then he's going through some problems with the, the work that had, he had paid money to get done on the house from the, the money he had received from Steve White. Uh, just more messes. And then he ends up getting an acute appendicitis, which could have killed him too, because if an acute appendicitis ruptures, you get peritonitis, that could kill you. And he goes through that and gets that removed and almost dies there. And I believe all these things were, were being done to him to ultimately humble him. Um, years go, goes by, and, and he's just trying for years and years and years to, to, to get either get the company back or get compensated or find somebody that will build this family. But nobody wanted to touch it because it was in litigation. No company really wanted to get involved in this, what they termed as a mess. And because he had not used the legal route to begin with. There was a lot of things that were just irretrievably broken. From a legal standpoint, and there were, he didn't have the money to go out and get a high-priced attorney to fight this. And this is how my parents lived for the last 10 years of their life. And he had some other things that he was trying to do to, to, to make money, to make ends meet. And he did, but it was very, compared to what the, their dreams for life were, when they had first probably signed this deal to sell this business, things had turned out totally, totally, totally different than what they had hoped. And uh, years go by, and, and, and then he had a stroke, and I helped him uh, put him on a protocol. He recovered very quickly. If, if you have somebody that has a stroke, they can recover very quickly if you get them on the proper nutrients right away, or if you do what they call oxygen or hyperbaric, hyperbaric chamber therapy which you usually can only really get that in hospitals, the kind you need. But if you do that quick enough, but just remember, if you have a stroke and it's from a plaque piece of arteriosclerosis that broke off, you've got to deplaque that person. You've got to, you've got to do some chelation, get their arteries cleaned out, or they're probably going to have another one. Um, coronary artery disease, the, the placking of the arteries, you've got to get that cleaned out. Um, and meds won't do it. And Plavix won't do it. I mean, these are things that are pure band-aids. Open heart surgery, all that's doing is, or angioplasty, all that's doing is scraping some of the, the fat out in the arteries and, and freeing the artery up. It's not fixing the problem. The, the problem's just going to come back if you don't alter your lifestyle and dietary changes and supplementation protocols. We don't die 
from a lack of Plavix or heart meds. Um, Cardiovascular-wise, these are some of the easiest cases in the world to help if the person isn't plaque to the point where my dad was, and if their blood sugar's not sky high. I have a whole newsletter I've written on this. Um, that uh, if you want it, just email me and I'll I'll send it to you. My email address is on my homepage, Sermon Audio. But anyway, so he, uh, you know, all this stress accumulating, that probably had a lot to do with it too. You know, stressed out. He was a fighter. He never gave up, though. I will say that. He never gave up. And um, it ended up accumulating where he had, he his whole life, you know, he had worked, and I think they had finally thought they had attained this, and then they realized they weren't going to get this com- uh, company back. They weren't going to get any compensation. They had, you know, judgments on them in court for, for them to even pay back the little bit of money they got from the business. Um, you know, liens on the property, they remortgaged their house to the hill, and then the housing market collapsed. And, you know, they had essentially what was appraised at a uh, uh, over a million dollar house, and they ended up, it, it was it was ironic, and, and this is the, I'll, I'll bring you up to speed here, this is then we're going into this last month, where they finally knew that they were going to lose this house. They had lost the business, now they're going to lose their house. And this house they'd have 30 years. They put all this money in, you know. Okay, but again, this is this is the rich man. This is the rich man's strong tower. Remember that. My dad was, you know, I'd say upper middle class, but this is this was his strong tower. All of his possessions, all of his material stuff. His this house. Okay. Finally comes the point in the realization: I'm going to lose it all. I've lost my company. They stole it from me. Had all these health problems. All these horrific things happen to me. I'm getting up there in years. I'm 63 years old. Now I'm going to lose my house. He tried everything in the world to, to, to save this house. Every legal maneuver. And it was all legal, but it wasn't working. Because the court systems are totally corrupt. And there's no way... It's very, very hard to co- uh, compensate for corruption. Because corruption overrules <laughs> truth and righteousness when you're, when you're faced with it. I'm not. I'm not saying the Lord can't prevail, but just making that statement. So this. Let's go back about. I don't know. A month. A little over a month ago, and they had finally conceded the house was going to be lost. They had um, said, "Okay, we're going to have to move into this other house, which is about a third of the size of the house they were in." And I told my parents, "I said, you don't understand." I said, "I've I've made several moves, and moving is a traumatic process. It is not fun." And when I was with my uh, ex-wife before, um, in that marriage I was in that I told you about where I was under God's chastisement, we moved a total of 14 times in a, was it four-year period? Some of those were my business and some of those were house moves. Because she had to live in total chaos all the time. And I'll tell you what, when you move 14 times in a four-year period, you reprioritize things. And I think that's why God had me go through it. Chastening, but it was also, what's really important? <laughs> what material things are... I mean, you get to the point where you're sick of moving stuff. You just want to get rid of it. And it really did cause me to get a, adopt a whole different mindset when it came to moving, just to have as little as possible. And, and I, I've never changed, and I never will change uh, on, on that. Um, but anyway... It, this was a traumatic move as it was, and, and um, 
my dad was was actually started to have some chest pains this last week, and uh, I didn't think a whole lot of it because I had him on a protocol. But what I didn't realize is that he was so placked up that was gonna that was gonna override anything I was doing with clinical nutrition, which is my specialty. Now, granted, had he not been on this, I believe he would have been dead a long time ago. Now, I'm not saying I'm not gonna say that God didn't keep him alive, okay? But the Lord puts these things on the planet to help us. Different herbs, different foods, different you know glandulars and things of this nature that can really, um, Lord willing, Lord willing, extend a person's life. We can be destroyed for lack of knowledge. And if you put garbage, if you put 50 octane into your car, eventually that car is going to have a problem and possibly blow up. Um, my dad had had placking issues ever since I can remember as a young boy. I went to the chiropractor, the guy that got me involved in chiropractic, and he took an x-ray of him, and you could literally see his carotid arteries on an x-ray. Now, I learned later in chiropractic college that when you can see the carotid arteries on an x-ray, that means there's so much placking and or calcification in the arteries that they're actually showing up on an x-ray like bone. That's a lot of placking, and he had that in his 30s. So he had a he had a history, my family has a history, blood sugar, heart disease, these types of things. I really believe he would have died a long, long, long time ago had it not been for the things we did supplementally. I mean, Lord willing, I, I, I mean, Lord willing, God kept him alive. Uh, but we're three-part beings, body, soul, and spirit. If, if the devil can take us out in a bodily way because of poor lifestyle change or poor lifestyle choices and poor uh, uh, nutritional choices... And doing and eating the wrong things, hey, he don't care as long as he takes us out. So, gets this last week, he starts having chest pains. And it is almost like, here, here my dad's in this house for 30 years, his castle. He comes to, he's at the end of his rope. He knows he's never going to get his business back. Nobody's interested in the patent he has on the fan. He's losing his house. In his eyes, he's had everything taken away from him. They don't owe nothing, because they can't afford nothing anymore. You know, um, judgments against him, all kind of liens against him. You know, the housing market collapses. And then this happens, where he starts having chest pains. It's like, the, he's like and, and, it, and it's ironic, because here we are, we're supposed to, my, my parents were supposed to be out of that house that week. So it's literally, his castle's gone. His cat, the, the one cat that we had had for all these years, um, her name was Cream. She, um, we couldn't believe how long she lived because this cat was just looked like it's been on its last legs for like five years now. Thinking any day it's going to die. It just keeps living. And But Cream was so uh, um, degenerated in this last week she wasn't even taking care of herself anymore. I mean, she smelled like feces. I mean, that's not normal for a cat. They are normally, they keep themselves, or at least they smell clean. I'm not saying they are clean, but they smell clean. All of these things that led up to this, his castle, his material possessions, having to move into this other house, um, all of this you know, coming to realization, and then he starts to have these chest pains, and then, like I said, I'll fast forward you to the, finding him on the, uh, on his bathroom floor at three in the morning, 
you know, I'm having a massive heart attack. They take him. Uh, the next day, the doctors inform my mom that, you know, it, there's a very slim chance of him pulling through this. Too much damage done. And then he stopped urinating, which is a sign that his kidneys started to shut down, so he was going into organ failure. The, the heart attack had caused such a shock to the system that everything else started shutting down. So, um, I went in there that day, uh, and with the express purpose of going there, of witnessing to my dad. Now, he was familiar I know he's been familiar, he's heard the gospel before. But I, I, what I did is I sent an email out to my whole email list that morning saying that to pray for my dad because I believe that you know he's, he's probably on his deathbed and that his, this is his last chance. If God can open his ears to hear this, I can't imagine him being any more humbled. And again, my prayer for my dad and my mom and my family, and, and I think this is a biblical way to prayer, is whatever it takes to get that particular person saved, Lord, in this life, do it so that they do not burn in hell for eternity and in, and then the lake of fire forever. Whatever it takes. And it's almost like I had forgotten that. It's almost like I had forgotten what I had prayed for all these years. Because, you know why I say that? Because here I am, I was getting mad over the stuff with this white family that they had done. But then again, I had prayed to the Lord, whatever it takes. And if you think about it, if they had got the $2.5 million, um, this is more of his strong tower. A man's uh, uh, The riches are the strong tower of a man, and he will run to it. You know where the Bible talks about the guy that, that, that had all that these barns, and he tore down barns and built bigger ones? He said, ah, my soul is at ease, and... And then God says to him, Thou fool, this, this night thy soul will be required of thee. Well, that's what happens. That's why the Bible says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's exactly why. And here I am all these years praying, God, do whatever it takes, and not seeing how God could be using this. There was one time where... Um, I had gotten into an argument, or, or I, my dad had come to me and he said, I want you to co-sign this loan. Now, my dad and mom had spent a tremendous amount of money to put me through chiropractic college. Now, I had school loans, and I'm still paying those things off, but um, they came to me, and this was before I was saved, too. Um, when I was in chiropractic college, I was not saved, but they, they never asked for none of that back. They never asked for any of that money, and it had to be way over $100,000. Had to be. All the money, my dad put me through private schools. I went to a private um, Lutheran middle school. I went to a private Catholic high school. Went to college. And then chiropractic college. Six years of college to be a doctor. And um, he never asked me for none of that back. He never wanted it. I mean, he was a very generous person in a lot of ways. So I don't want to just paint my dad as this monster. Uh, and I'm going to tell you about some other things that, that were very positive about my dad. Um, I just wanted to kind of lay the groundwork on the other. So he had, he had done a lot of, um, uh, in some ways, my dad was, was a very generous, you know, person when it came to money. Too generous, you know, and he, and he didn't manage it well when it came to him personally or, or with other people. But, um, so I went there, um, that day 
when he was basically on his deathbed, they weren't a hundred percent sure at that point. It didn't look good, but they didn't. And I had a about a two to three minute window of opportunity because he had ICU nurses there all the time, and I kind of waited until the one nurse left. She went to this break room, and I went right in there and I started witnessing to him. I put my hand, my right hand, on his left shoulder. I believe that's what I did. And then I just gave him the full gospel to reiterate it. And his eyes were partially open. It looked like he was in some type of semi-comatose state. But I know one thing. The Lord can open the ears of a person when they're in that state. And um, I had, I know to be thousands of people praying for him at that particular time. Probably more people than had ever been praying for him in his whole life, ever. So, um, the one lady, she's got a, she's got a radio talk show, and they have like 200,000 people, Barbara Kate, and I, I have a pretty big email list now, and a lot of ministries, and I, I know there was a lot of people praying for, for this, and I had sent that email out on purpose that morning, because I knew that I needed as much prayer behind this as possible. I gave them a clear presentation of the gospel. Um, salvation, the finished work of Christ, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and I, you know, I told him, I, I said, Dad, I don't want you to go to hell, and that's where you're going to go if you don't if you don't yield. And I believe that of all people in the world, now I can see it, but I couldn't even at the time that there was no. If there was one way, my dad was going to get saved. Let me put it that way. It could only be this way. Because he had been on his supposed deathbed before. The, the time that he had a brain tumor. Still didn't yield. I believe the Lord had to strip him of every single thing he had in this life. In order for him to have any hope of getting saved. He had everything taken from him. Everything he had ever, other than his wife and me. And Taylor, but I'm talking about every material thing he ever had was taken from him. His business, and a lot of this was a, a lot of this was taking his pride from him too. He had been humbled numerous times with numerous physical problems. Uh, now he's losing his house. Isn't it ironic? The house that he had put all this money and work and this and this was the last week and they were being forced out of that very house this is when all this happened he knew he's going to lose his house business was already lost everything materialistically had been stripped from him Every, i mean it was just it was I, I i can see the hand of god on it now and now his life was being taken from him and i, I he knew it because even that night when he went to the the um when the paramedics came and got him, he's like, I don't think I'm going to make it. I, I, I don't think I'm going to make it. He, he was, he was, uh, and I never really heard him say that. I believe the Lord let him hear this. And I'm going to read you some emails I, I received afterward regarding this. Now, can I be 100% dogmatic and say, I know he got, no, I can't. I can't do that. But all I'm saying is that in light of everything I've just presented before you, I can see 
why God had to do it this way. If there was any one way where my dad was going to get saved, this was probably the only way it was going to happen. He had to have every single thing taken from him, stripped bare to where his life was taken from him. Humbled, you can't get much more humbled than that, whether you like it or not. He was humbled. I never saw so many machines hooked up to a person. My little girl saw it and she just started bawling. Well, I believe that that um, if I believe he got led to the Lord, I do. I just I, I'm going to read you some of these emails I got afterward, after the fact, because I asked the Lord for confirmation. Well, we came back. They they called us later that night, and they they said he's going further into organ shutdown. Uh. Now his liver's shutting down, his kidneys had already shut down, they even tried to put him on dialysis, nothing was working. And there, it was just, we knew, my mom knew and I knew, and, and um, there, I mean, I, you can't imagine how many nurses were there. It was like a whole room full of nurses working just on my dad. And uh, I tell you, that, that that's that's a... You know, the Bible talks, I put this out in the email. There is wisdom in the house of mourning. And uh, I probably should read that right now. Because I'll tell you, that's why I don't typically avoid funerals. Because the Bible talks about how there's wisdom in sorrow and in mourning. And, and, and uh, let's see here where it says that. Yeah, here it is. Ecclesiastes 7. Uh, verse 1. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. Well, that's if you're saved. The day of your death is better than the day of your birth. If you're saved, <laughs> if you think about it, that's, you're, going, you're going to be with Jesus Christ. You're going to glory. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. When you're when you're birthed into this world, you're birthed into a life of sorrow and troubles for the most part. Then verse 2, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. So the Bible says. The Bible says be ye afflicted and mourn and weep. All these all these crazy people in the churches now going around having little parties these big parties at churches, and they're televangelists, and they're singing, and they're and they're acting like, and, and and their lives are total abomination before God, and they're acting like they have all this liberty to sin. Are we not appointed to do this wickedness, or are we not appointed to act this way as, as the way they act? But it's but it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting, for the end, for that is the end of all men. And the living will lay it to his heart. See, when you see somebody dying before you, you lay that to your heart. It affects you. Particularly if it's your dad. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. Now the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17.9 But see, one of the ways for the heart to be purged... And to be made more right with the Lord is by sorrow. The Bible's very clear on that. The sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. Now, there's not a whole lot of things in the Bible that tells you how to make your heart better. 
because it's wicked. But this is one of them, one of the few I've ever seen. Fear the Lord, humility. Those are another way to, to help your heart. And then verse 4, the heart of the wise is in the house of the morning. Now, I don't mean mourning like the sun coming up. Mourning like you mourn. So the Bible says wise, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. But the heart of fools is in the house of myrrh. What does that tell you about the modern day church? That's what the churches are. They're houses of myrrh, frivolity, celebration. Most of the time, verse 5, it is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. See, the Bible says a scorner, if you rebuke him, he'll hate you. But a wise man, if you rebuke him, he'll love you for it. Well, we go, we go back and um, uh, we basically just said our last goodbyes to him. Uh, I mean, you talk about, he looked pretty horrific at that point. He was already starting to go into what they call cyanosis, where he was lack of oxygen, his chest was like purple, and and he just looked, ugh, really, really bad. Um, And uh, Taylor said her goodbyes. It was bawling. It was sad. It was really sad. My mom did. I did. I was right there when they unplugged him. At 11.24, I believe it was April 24th, they just started unplugging all the machines, which was the only thing that was keeping them alive at that point. And he just stopped breathing. I was right there. I wanted. I thought about that verse in Ecclesiastes. I wanted to experience as much of that grief in that morning as I could in that moment. I really did. I sought it out. Because the Bible says there's wisdom there. And if there was anything I could do there to, to you know, hopefully help my dad to heaven at that point, well, hopefully, you know, that was the case. <clears throat> the Bible says in Acts 16.31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. I had claimed that verse over my parents for a lot of years. Acts 16.31 Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Now, what if you what if you don't believe that verse? Well, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. I'm not saying that, that you know, just because if you claim that verse and if it weren't to happen, I'm not saying you don't have faith. I'm just saying... Do you have the faith to believe that? And I, I've claimed that over them for a long time. And I've seen my family members one by one get saved. And a lot of, it's pretty much been on their deathbed. But hey, better late than never. Whatever it takes. That's why I kept saying, Lord, I, I, I would tell the Lord, if you have to hang him out over hell. I don't know what my dad had to go through in that, even in that last day where he was in that semi-comatose state. Who knows what the Lord may have shown him. Who knows? This this garbage about these after-death experiences these people have where they say, oh, I see this light and they're, they're as lost as lost can be. Remember, Satan can transform himself into an angel of light. And that's one of the main ways people get deceived. Or, they, or they'll get their psychic after dear Aunt Mildred departed and bring Aunt Mildred back and you can talk to her. And, oh, it sounds like, just like Aunt Mildred and 
She, uh, her inflections and her voice were the same, and she knew, knew things only Aunt Mildred could know about me. It's all a lie from the pit of hell. All they're doing is talking to familiar spirits that are familiar with the patterns of that person. Because they were devils that, that were familiar with them their whole life. That's all that is. I did a whole teaching on near-death experiences. Just key it in on my search box on my homepage. But that is a gigantic major tool of the devil to take people to hell. In fact, I want to talk a little bit more about that in a second. Um... Um, okay, so these, these emails, I got this email, this was after I, uh, this is after, I think this was, I got this, um, maybe it was the 27th, yeah, yeah, this is the day he died, I'm sorry, it was April, April 27th, I got this at 6.01, which was, he died at 11.24, so, um, it says, hello Dr. Johnson, my heart and brain, now this is a man, his name is Sh- Shigio. He's from Tahiti. Uh, the island of Tahiti. He says, My heart and brain were totally dead for ten minutes in 1999. But God resurrected me so I am back and to get engaged in the battle again. <laughs> See, God can do that if He wants to. There was this one guy in this one tape, and, and I, I give you the link on my near-death experience tape. He was dead for three days in Russia. He was in the morgue. How do you like that? You're down there in the morgue and you see some guy pop out of the morgue. At cold as ice. Came back to life. Woo-hoo! God can do that if he wants to. I'm not talking about false conversion. I'm talking about a guy they interviewed and they documented. But the Lord can do that. It's not common. It's an exception to the rule, but... He goes on to say, as for your father, he can hear you. Even if he is in a coma, just keep talking and praying. He may or may not respond, but he, but he can recognize your voice. This is interesting. <laughs> I heard the voice of Jesus. Now, this was when he was in a coma. And Jesus gave me the verse, John 5.25. Oh, I tell you what, when I read this, whoo, I about came unglued. So, he's in a coma. And he heard the voice of Jesus and he gave him John 5.25. What does John 5.25 say? I'll read it to you. Verily, ver-, and this is Jesus Christ talking. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. Wow. You don't hear that one preached on very much. Let me read that again. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. Whew. Man, I never even... I have probably read that verse, I don't know how many times, but I never really applied it to a situation like this. And this is the voice that this man heard, a born-again Christian believer, when he was in a coma. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, I will send you a mail. Um, oh, then he said, God bless. And then he wrote me again. And this is before he found out, I believe, that what had happened. He says, how is your father? Pray and talk to your father, even if he's in a coma. He can hear you. I could hear voices myself when I was in the coma. 
Okay, and again, I was asking the Lord for confirmation. Okay, about this, hey, Lord, if He's in hell, you know, I don't want you to sugarcoat it. But if He's not, I pray that I I can get some peace and confirmation. Now, again, just think about this: there was never a time in this man's life that he had more people praying for him ever, thousands and thousands and thousands. Okay, born again Bible believing Christians praying for him. Had everything stripped away from him. End of his rope. Now his life was being taken. The Lord had tried every other way to get him, to, to, to lead him to the Lord. Tried every other way. But this was the only way. It was the only thing left. It's sad. But in a way, I had prayed, whatever it takes, Lord. So I praise the Lord. Here's the next email. Um... I, and I emailed uh, Shingo back. And then the next email, uh, let's see here. A, a lady named Elaine, Christian sister, um, she said, I will gladly pray for, um, pray Monday as I prayed. The Lord seemed to indicate you needed a big bear hug. <laughs> he hugged you so tight that all the air squished out of you. Then he held you on his lap and put his hands around your ribs and tickled you until you smiled. So this was just a, like an encouragement. Uh, he, then she said, "You were carrying such a heavy burden with all the news of the bird flu, or that was the swine flu. I'm sorry, and now a personal problem on top of that. The Lord wants you to relax in Him. He has everything under control. Today, these are the thoughts the Lord gave me while I was praying for you. And all she gave me is Bible verses, Acts 11:14, which is essentially Acts 16:31. Thou shalt be saved in thy household. It's another place that's said." Um, and then she said, we all have rebels, and God is faithful to hear our cries. He has a plan. Well, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, I'm not sitting here by any stretch of the imagination saying, I'm Mr. Righteous Man. But through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and His finished work on the cross, I appropriate the righteousness of Christ. Um, and that's the righteousness that I want to, you know, appropriate. Daniel 10.12 Um... Let's just read that real quick here. Daniel 10, 12. Let's see here. Then This is when Daniel was on the 21-day Daniel fast. And, it, and now remember, I've been praying about this for years. Years and years and years. He says, Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from this first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God. Thy words were heard and I am come for thy words. In other words, God heard my prayers a long time ago. There, now there's thousands of other people praying as well. Which, that concept, you know, it was just nice to hear that. In other words, God listens to your heart cry but it may take several years before you see the answer. Um, so anyway, I got, I got these, these emails. One other thing that had happened to my dad that I was going to say, I'm just going to segue into this and then segue back to this. There was one other thing that had happened a long time ago where I had, I had started to give you this testimony. Um, but basically, um, he, uh, Uh, with my dad, 
this was probably about, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. He had come to me and asked me to co-sign a loan because they were in real bad straits financially because of this thing that, that happened. And, you know, he never managed his money well anyway, what he did get. And um, the Bible says not to be surety for any man, which basically surety is like a co-signer on a loan. It's not, number one, it's not biblical to take out a loan uh, from a bank in particular. The Bible says to owe no man anything. You know, but the loving, and and the Bible also says that the borrower is slave or servant to the lender. So if you borrow money, now I'm saying between two Christians you know, in this type of thing, I understand there's there could be a biblical application there. But going to a bank and taking out money or running up credit cards, I don't believe that's biblical. I don't see any Bible for it at all. You're getting in debt. Well, he wanted to be be a co-signer alone. I had. Um, I guess decent enough credit at the time where I could do that, and I had wrestled with this thing because he had they had spent, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars to put me through chiropractic college. Never asked me for nothing, but I really got convicted that that um, this no this can't happen because I'm not going to go against what the Bible says. And I went over there, and first thing out of his mouth, he got in my face, and uh, basically. Um, said, you know, I need you to co-sign this loan. I said, Dad, I'm really sorry, but I can't do that. I mean, I wasn't smart mouth. I wasn't disrespectful. And, oh, he went ballistic. Went nuts. F and F and F and words and, and get out of my F and house and don't ever come back, you know, all this stuff. And I said, fine, I won't ever come back. And I walked out of there and my mom was bawling and she followed me out in the driveway and, and I said, no, he's made his choice. That's fine. I'm good with it. Drove out of there. Taylor was there. She saw the whole thing. She's a little girl. And within about literally half hour to 40 minutes, I got a call back. And it, it was real funny because at the time, my phone, I, there was a setting on my phone that if it rang a certain amount of times, it just picked up. And it was a phone setting I didn't know about. And I, I couldn't figure it out. And it, my phone rang and rang and rang. And it was my dad, and I didn't want to talk to him. And it just picked up, so I ended up having to get on the phone. And uh, he said, um, Scott, Scott, I just want to call you to tell you how sorry I am. And I said, Dad, I've already forgiven you. I really, I just, it's something the Lord's always given me a ability to do is forgive people. And I really had, I, I was, I already forgiven him. He says, no, he says, you're never going to believe what happened after you left. I said, what? He says, well, he says, as soon as you left, uh, my mom's Aunt Dolores called and said she would co-sign the loan out of the blue. Now, this was after banking hours. They have been trying to get this money for over a year. Okay, but then after that, they got another call, and my grandpa, my grandma had already passed away, the one I led to the Lord. My grandpa, who was living at my grandma, my dad's house at the time, I think he was there. No, he wasn't quite there yet. They were trying to sell his house because he was to the point where he needed to be with my parents because um, he was getting to the point where he couldn't quite take care of himself anymore properly. And they were trying to sell their house. And they were, again, going through all these financial straits over not getting paid on this business. That night, they had somebody call and say, well, buy the house. This was after I left. So within a 
30-minute period after I left and told him I would not go sign the loan, my Aunt Dolores called and said she would. But better than that, another person called and said, we're going to buy the house. There's no need to co-sign a loan because they're going to have money. And I said to my dad on the phone that night, I said, I said, can't you see how this is God? That only the Lord could do this. And immediately, well, I don't know about that. I couldn't believe it. He still would not acknowledge that the Lord Jesus Christ had orchestrated this thing out. I couldn't believe it. That was just one other story, you know, about, you know, the I guess the hardness of the heart, you know. I tell you what, that, that it may not have done anything for his faith, but it sure did a lot for mine. I mean, when you, when you are in obedience to the Lord and you do something, and you see something like that happen, woo, it, it'll help you. It'll help your faith. It'll increase it. It'll strengthen it. Faith is like a muscle. If you, if you don't exercise it, you know, you can lose it. Or you can, it can atrophy, which is what happens when you don't exercise a muscle. It gets weaker. I'm telling you, that strengthened my faith. I saw the hand of God all over that. What are the odds of that? This had been a year. He had tried to avoid having me as a cosigner alone. All of a sudden, within a half hour little time period, in that 365 day, 24 7 year, 30 minute time period, they get their answer in two different ways after business hours. That wasn't no accident. So, anyway, I just wanted to give you that, too. Anyway, then going further, now here's another thing, too. Sometimes I really believe. That prayer is like when you when you start praying about a certain situation. Sometimes you can get that prayer answered real quick, and sometimes it may not be years and years and years and years later. And in those years that you're toiling and this or that and thinking God's not doing nothing, there's a there's a teaching that a, a evangelist, a dear evangelist friend of mine named Melvin Sisson did, called the film is being developed, meaning. When you'd like take a Polaroid picture, you know how the Polaroid cameras and the pictures develop? You take that thing out and you put turn it upside down. You can't see the image right away. But if you give it five, ten minutes or whatever, and you turn it back over, then you can see the clear image. Well, that's how all our lives are. It's like the it's like our lives are a film. Remember, Jesus Christ is the author and finisher of our faith. He's the finisher. But we don't know exactly how that whole thing's gonna turn out yet. So it's like the film is being developed. So just because you're in the middle of something and it may not be working out like you think it should work out, like this thing with my dad. I didn't know. I couldn't even see what God was doing, really. Until I was on the other side. Then I saw the big picture. I saw the film being developed in this respective situation. And I thought, you know what, Lord? That is the only way he could have got saved. It's the only way. He had to have every single thing stripped from him. Here's another email I got. This is from my cousin Stephanie. Um, she says, how are you doing and did you get moved? I've been thinking a lot about all of you and you were in my prayers. I want to share my favorite memory of my dad with you. Of your dad of your dad with you. Now this is about my dad. Okay, Stephanie was my dad's um, sister's daughter. Okay. It was the summer of 1962. Now, I wasn't even born until 1969. Okay, so this was before I was even born. It was the summer of 1962, and I was about to be a second grader. We were at Berlin, 
Berlin Lake is, is a lake they went to up in Ohio. And it was the morning after a huge bonfire. John and the other kids and I, John was her brother, and I were playing tag. And I was chasing after John and ran through the fire pit. There were no burning logs on top, but there were glowing embers beneath the surface. And I became frozen as they burned my feet. The adults were down at the dock and elsewhere and didn't hear my screams immediately. But pretty soon, here comes Uncle Bob. That's what she called him, my dad, Uncle Bob. His name was Robert Johnson, but they called him Bob. Here comes Uncle Bob running like crazy and snatched me out of the fire pit. Fortunately for me, the burns healed and I never had a single scar. Your dad literally snatched me out of the fire that day. And as I was thinking about this, I believe the Lord snatched your dad from the flames of hell before he died. <laughs> Ooh, that's enough to make a Presbyterian run the aisles. That don't get you fired up, your wood's wet. Sorry. Some old expressions I brought from church. I believe that the Lord snatched your dad from the flames of hell before he died. There are several reasons for my thinking of this, but I believe it to be true. Now, one of those, those reasons is the effectual prayer of a righteous man. Grandma Truck who prayed for all of us. Now, I believe that was the lady that I said burned up. Now, I'm not saying she couldn't have been saved. Okay? I am going to be doing an expose on the Seventh-day Adventists. But, I'm not saying that this woman wasn't saved. Obviously, she exhibited a lot of fruit. Because I never heard a crossword about her. Sweetest lady they said that, that they had ever known. Um... And this was the lady that burned up that I told you about earlier. They called her Grandma Truck. One of those reasons is the effectual prayer of a righteous man. Grandma Truck who prayed for all of us as well as the prayers of his family and friends. Hope you're doing okay. Give my love to your mom and Taylor. Blessings, Stephanie. So, you know, I asked the Lord for confirmation. As far as I'm concerned, I got it. It's for all of those reasons that I just stated that I believe there was a very good chance that he was saved. I, I hope you can understand from where I'm coming from now why, why, why I said that. Now, also, I want to tell you, there were a couple times in my life where my dad saved my life as well. Now, I know I, I said some things, that, they were truth, but I wasn't saying them out of anger, malice, or spite, or bitterness at all. I was just stating facts. You know, and um, there were a couple things in my life that happened. One, when I was uh, growing up, my dad was always wanting to do fun stuff on the weekends and things like that. He took me a lot of trips when I was growing up, and we went to Alaska and Mexico and Canada. And one year, we went up to Canada and we we're on a fishing trip, and it was in the summer, and. Um, we actually, we'd actually go up there and we'd go way to these remote lakes out in Canada and, and we'd get a, a fishing guide. Usually it was an Indian guide. And he'd take us out on the lakes and we'd go hunting for, I always wanted to get a muskie. They're a real specialized fish. There was northern pike and walleye and if you were lucky, or not lucky, but if you were fortunate, you could get a smallmouth bass. But the muskie was the fish that, you know, was like the, the ultimate prize. The musky, the, the the dreaded musky. I believe I got a hold of one one time, and it felt like the bottom of the lake was on my pole. It literally pulled the pole down. It struck my line right before it got to the boat, and I believe it was the same fishing trip. And it literally busted my pole right in half 
right there, and it and it hit it right there. I couldn't. I was holding it up, and it just came down and busted the pole. He got away. N- nasty fish. <laughs> anyway, what we would do is we'd go out in the lake and we'd catch fish, and then for lunch we'd actually go up, and the guide would prepare the food. He'd prepare fresh fish, walleye. Oh, they taste good. You know. You're out there, campfire, you're in the... And it's cool up there, because even though it's summer, you're in Canada. And we're up, you know, and this water is freezing cold. And um, I remember that we were on an island, and they had made this food. And I, I believe it was afterward, or maybe it was before, I don't know. And I went down to the, the, the lake shore on this island we were at, and I was on this big boulder. Now, it... I believe it was raining, a little mist, and this boulder was slick. And man, I just went right off that boulder and I went straight down. And I didn't touch bottom. It was deep. Real deep. I didn't touch bottom. All I can say, I don't remember other than seeing bubbles and freezing cold water and going straight down thinking I'm dead. And I don't know how, I don't... I'm not even sure if I was wearing a vest. For some reason, I don't think I was because there's no reason I was on shore. But, and this was the Lord because I believe the Lord had his hand on me even when I was unsaved little kid. And I came up out of the water and all I can remember is a hand grabbing on the back of me and just yanking me out of the water. One hand. And that was my dad. Now, he was on that same slippery, slimy rock and he didn't lose footing yanking me out of the water like I was a little rag doll. That's how my dad was. When there was an emergency situation where, where life or death was on the line, whoo, he springed to action. I'm telling you, I saw the Lord use him. I saw the Lord use him in those instances. Stephanie, my cousin Stephanie, you just read hers. And as much baggage as my dad had, I still saw the Lord use him in certain situations to save lives. I would have been dead. I could have been dead easy. They had to bring me up. I had to basically strip down and, and put the clothes by the fire. And I was out there in my, probably my underwear, freezing cold, while they were drying my clothes out. Another time, we he had got these little dune buggies. They were called Odysseys. And uh, we were out there riding around in um, this wilderness area. At the time it was. Now they've developed. But... It was in Cape Coral. And there was this big old kind of ditch canal. It was big. And I went down it, and and I was, there was a couple of them. There was trails. And I think when I went down, I was out of sight of him, and I, and I, I was trying to come up one, and, and there was a certain way you had to come up the, uh, the hills. And if you did it too fast, you'd flip over. And I flipped over right back into the water. And I don't 100% remember exactly, but I was in a real bad position. I was upside down in this thing with, like, water. And I could have died. And I was I was screaming, and my dad, it was like he was there like lightning. Boom! It was like, I don't I don't know how he could have got there that quick. It had to be supernatural. He had He was there. He had me out of that thing so fast. I always felt secure around him. I always, I, I will say that I always felt that, you know, he was this, this comforting presence that that was there when when it came to that type of stuff. Because I believe he would have died for me. I believe he would have died for Taylor. 
I do. I, I really believe that. So I want to end it on that note. I don't want to end it on a, on a negative note or, or, you know, speaking ill about uh, um, a person that's passed away. Um, hopefully this has been a blessing to you. And um, uh, hopefully it will be able to help some people out there reconcile some things maybe in their lives. And uh, I just pray the Lord use it for His glory. Uh, I humbly bring this before you. And uh, we're going to go to our next part of our... We're going to start a new teaching next. And uh, may the Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you. God bless you. Bye-bye.